This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. Hey, friends. It's been a busy couple of months, and that's why we haven't had any new episodes recently. But I am back with my favorite co-host, Mike. And just in time, because this month actually marks one year that we've been out here in Colorado and living off-grid. And so we wanted to do an episode together just kind of reflecting on how this year has gone, some of the ups and downs, some of the things that we've learned, some of the things that we're grateful for, and really just kind of open it all up to you guys and just have a conversation about how this year has gone from both of our perspectives. So hi, Mike. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, The first thing I want to reflect on that uh, has been great in our lives is that dinner we just ate. That was delicious. That was really, really good. So zucchinis from our garden that we grew for our first year and um, chicken that we grilled, although we didn't raise the chickens ourselves because we didn't have enough infrastructure in place and time. Next year we'll be grilling. Next year, this episode, we'll be grilling our own chicken. Yeah, I think that's a good goal to set for sure. But we've had some really awesome meals, and that's kind of part of what we're going to talk about today, I think, is just how our lifestyle has shifted since being out here and the effort to sort of find a good rhythm for it, especially being at the property versus the days that we're at our business in town. It's been a big adjustment, but I think we're handling it as well as we can so far. (laughs) I think we're handling it really well, not as well. I mean, I think we're handling it well. I feel good about how we're handling it. Yeah, I think we are too. We've we've definitely had, you know, some ups and downs and some not fun stuff that we'll talk about this episode too. But overall, I think we're both easily happier than we've ever been. We both feel like we're on a really good path for forward for our lives and our futures and yeah, wouldn't wouldn't go back to live in any other way. That's for sure. No, definitely agree. I wouldn't definitely would not go back to living any other way. Yeah. So I think one of the things we can kind of talk about is just the overall progress we've made this year. You know, when we when we first planned to move out here, our thought was that we'd get the shop built last winter. So we moved out here permanently October 20th of last year. And our plan was that we'd get the shop built that winter. And then in spring of 2023, we would break ground on the house. And now we kind of like look at each other and laugh when we reflect on that, because I think one of the biggest things we've learned out here is that pretty much any project that you attempt, I think whether you're off grid or just homesteading uh, on grid or not, is going to take more time than you thought and probably cost more money than you thought. What do you think, Mike? I definitely agree that, well, the economy shifted quite a bit. And so cost of materials went up substantially and that really affected our budget. Plus we had other issues For example, we've talked about in the past, the septic system, we weren't planning, we didn't budget for it. And so um, that was $10,000 that we had to spend, even though we did all the work ourselves, um, it was still $10,000 that wasn't in the budget. And um, the other was the road that we talked about. Um, We really thought it would be easier to hire somebody to help build the road and pricing out road base and things like that you know you call the 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 quarries you get prices on road base and then when you start figuring in you know by the time you get it here it's double it's just and then the fact that trucks you sometimes we wait two three months so 
and we were forced with the weather. So we had to get that road put in. And that road was multiple thousands of dollars more than we had budgeted, which really slowed the progress down, which then, you know, slowed down building the shop building, which then meant we had to live in the camper all winter, which means that we weren't able to start building the house spring of 2023. But I think things have worked out okay. And so even though we pushed our timelines back, like I still look at this past year and think that it was a victory that we did get the septic system in. It's up and, and working. It's made our life a lot easier, not having to worry about like how we're going to dispose of waste anymore. Um, that's definitely been a big relief off our plates um, and a lot easier to deal with. So that's nice. Um, and we spent a little bit more money on it at this point by planning ahead for when we do build the house. So it's the tank is big enough that we can just tie directly into it. Right. Yeah. So we what we did was we ran the septic system. So we, we, we determined the location with the engineer of where the tank would go and where the drain field would go. We determined the size of the drain field for the house and we desert, determined um, the location for the tank and drain field based off of the location of where the house will be built. And then all we did was just ran a line all the way over to where the shop is and put in what's called an RV dump or an RV hookup, camper hookup. Basically, it's just a, a pipe that stubs out of the ground that we um, that has a threaded fitting on it that we can then run uh, uh, another threaded fitting over and then a hard pipe over to where our camper is. <clears throat> Which, in hindsight, is actually good because down the road, say five, ten years from now, uh, if any of our um, friends or family, if any of your followers on the podcast want to come visit, they can just roll up in their camper or their their mini bus home and plug it in and they'll be on septic. So that was great. Then when we built the leach field, we basically took half the size of the leach field that it would take to build the house. We put that in. We took the size of tank that we would need for the house. We put that in. And when we go to build the house, now all we got to do is run a 25-foot line from the house to the tank and then add in right next to the now existing leach field, another leach field the exact same size. So it'll be a lot easier. It costs us a lot less money down the road. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's a big win, even though... We didn't get other big projects done that we were hoping to. I still feel like we've moved quite a bit forward when I think back over this past year. Um, even our gardens, you know, it doesn't look like we had a humongous garden, but I'm pretty proud of it just because we had so many other things going on. And this was also our first year growing in the soil. Um, it really is lacking a lot of like nutrients um, and other matter and and we didn't have time to really amend it and so i'm pretty happy with like how everything turned out and what we were able to get from the garden this year and it was a good i think learning experience to then help us plan for next year and every yeah. year we'll just keep getting better soil wise so i will say the soil loves zucchini <laughs> and calendula the our on and peppers um we had a lot of shishito peppers a lot of jalapeno and serrano peppers and they all did very well uh, we couldn't eat enough shishito peppers fast enough. We couldn't. We can't eat enough zucchini fast enough to keep up <laughs> with what we're what we're producing. And the really the coolest thing was the calendula because when it, it's really cool if you are buying these dried herbs through a big producer or a website, and it, we 
what Sarah had done one day is she had gotten some calendula flower because we were through the winter and we didn't have our garden in Tennessee. So she ran out. So she ordered some calendula flower for some orders that she had to fill on foxandelder.com. And she, she showed them to me and we were just starting to harvest our calendula and it was starting to dry out. And when we got it fully dried, I was like, wait, save some of that, 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 mass-produced calendula that you had bought and let's compare it to our calendula and i don't know did you ever post a picture of that no i need to yes because the difference between our grown calendula that we dry without any electronics we're just dry air drying it with the natural ambient air or temperature that we have up here which is ideal for dehydrating you get such a more vibrant fresher looking product and so our calendula was was still vibrant deep yellows and greens and it just you could just visibly see the difference between the ones that were mash produced in a high heat dryer so anyways that was exciting i'm happy with the garden even though we didn't get a chance to fully amend the soil yet yeah and now we've made some good connections here locally um, to get really good quality amendments to add to it. So local manure from farmers that don't use any like antibiotics or pesticides, because um, that's always something you have to worry about. So we have a lot of work ahead of us, but I'm feeling pretty optimistic about it because if we manage to have this good of a first season without doing anything to the soil, I know it's just going to grow by leaps and bounds um, next Absolutely. year. Absolutely. And I saw that with our lavender too, compared to other lavender that I've purchased at points. It's just, it's so much more vibrant that color that you retain by drying it really slowly. And it's so much easier here. <laughs> you know, we farmed, you guys know we farmed in Tennessee prior to this and the humidity there versus here trying to like air dry anything in Tennessee. If you did that, you would just have a moldy wilty mess after like two days and it would be so tragic. So this is really nice. It takes a lot of the effort out of it for us where we can just throw things on screens and come back to it when we're ready and, and process it. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it uh, it reminds me of, of one of my favorite food shows, um, um, Good Eats with Alton Brown. He, he brings so much science into his presentation. And I remember an episode that he did on drying meats like beef jerky. And he, he really made a really good point. He's like, if you wanted to dry meat to preserve it for the longest period of time, you got to remove the moisture from it. Mostly that that's the most important part is removing the moisture from it because the moisture is what then can mold and can go bad and grow bad bacteria. So he said, if you wanted to dry meat, where's the worst place on the planet to do it? And he was like, high humidity areas. He's like, where's the best place to do it? He'd be like the summit of Everest. And um, I've been really high in the mountains. I haven't been in the summit of Everest, but I've been really close. And I can tell you from experience, it dries your skin out faster than anything. Like you will come back with chapped lips, chapped face, cheeks, everything. And it's because that air is so dry. It's sucking the moisture right out of your skin. So... We live in an ideal place at 8,500 feet. It's more of a deserty climate. And so it's worked out to be a really great thing. Yeah, it's been great. 
not for me personally, just because I've never had to wear lotion or moisturizer before until we moved here. So (laughs) that's been something I've learned this past year, how to keep up on. Um, But for the herbs, it's super awesome. And I I love it. (laughs) So other than the garden, tell us about all the exciting, great, wild things that we've found on our property and the surrounding property. Like we went on a, we went on a big hike last Sunday on the national forest, which is right next to our property. Oh, that's our dog Freya. She's walking around. So don't (laughs) worry about her toenails or if hero starts whining. So we went on a six and a half mile hike. We had over 1200 feet of elevation gain. So we started out at about 8,700 feet ish, 8,800 feet. And we, um, we hiked how many, how many hours did that take? Um, it was just under three hours of like active time. I think, but we were out there a while because, I stop and look at every plant. So Right. So tell us about some of the plants that we're finding. Well, this time of year, uh, rose hips are out. They're kind of winding down for the season. And so we did bring some of those back just to kind of test out methods for processing them. And that was pretty exciting because those are by far like the biggest rose hips I've ever seen. They're... There's tons of wild roses in Tennessee, but the hips are usually pretty small. Um, These are like the size of a of a marble, mm-hmm. at least. Or some smaller ones, but yeah. but big bushels of them that are like the size of a marble. And we had seen them the week before, and there was big bushels, tons of them, and and it was that was a week ago Sunday, mm-hmm. and then Sunday night it snowed up on that part of the mountain. And so we went back this Sunday and a lot of them were gone. So we didn't get to harvest as many as we wanted, but we still got a, a pretty good size, you know, uh, I guess basket size of them. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. It just means the birds and animals got them and, and that's fine. So, um, but yeah, so we'll just kind of test our processing methods because anyone who's done this knows it can be pretty labor intensive to do by hand. Um, but then again, we're heading into winter. So that's kind of the plan too, is, you know, you kind of get things dry enough that they're not going to spoil and then you can set them aside and work on them while you're watching movies and snowed in. So same with seed saving too. So, um, Mike mentioned like the calendula. So we're letting that go to seed at this point in the year not harvesting any more of the flowers. And then this fall or this winter, we'll actually sit down and separate everything out. Um, we also had a really good year with, pak choy and Asian green. And so we let that go to seed as well. And we have a ton of those little um, pod looking things on the ends of them from where they went to flower. And so this winter we'll, you know, I'll uh, get Mike to help me. Hopefully I'll sucker him into it and we'll, we'll crack those all open and save seed for next year. And I really like to nerd out about the seed saving, especially because it can usually take about seven good growing cycles to really acclimate something to your climate and or to select for a particular trait. And I was doing that back in Tennessee all the years that I was growing there. And so now I'm kind of having to like redo all that process here. And so getting that first season, even of just something like calendula under our belts is pretty exciting. Right. So the other uh, wild fruit or berry that we have an abundance of, and I mean, you could pick five gallon buckets for days on end is called service berry. And it's a smaller berry. It looks kind of like a blueberry, I would say, but they are delicious when you get them in the prime. They're just, I mean, I could stand there all day and just pick and eat them. They do have a couple of decent sized seeds in them, but they're not bad. And they're not like a really hard seed. So I don't feel like they would crack a tooth or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I just gnaw on them a little bit. Sometimes I swallow the seeds. Sometimes I spit them out. It just depends. But service berries. Yeah. Um, what? So choke cherries. Yeah, um, choke cherry. And we saw a mountain ash the other day. And let's see. There's lot, tons of yarrow, tons of mullen everywhere. Oh, yeah. Those mullen stalks that we saw yesterday were, mm-hmm. what, five, six feet tall? Easily. And really want to go get some of those and make uh, some beeswax candles once they're dried out. That'll be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, there was a, a bush rue. Bush rue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. what it's called. Bush rue. And it's in the citrus family, if I remember right. I think so. Yeah. And we were looking at it. It can be edible, but then some people can get almost like a contact dermatitis from the leaves. I think not the fruit, though. Okay. But we tried some of those and they were... They were okay. They, they were sour. They were. Yeah. You could tell there was kind of a citrusy sourness to them, but they weren't bad. They're a little bit bigger. I'd say they're like the size of a, of a, a jumbo blueberry mm-hmm. kind of thing, and they kind of look like a little apple. Yeah. Um, and then what else did we find? Well, of course, lots of amazing, beautiful stinging nettles. Yes. And huge patches of those. That... Yeah, that are just like like untouched, undisturbed, like. They don't have that wilted or dirty roadside look to them. Mm-hmm. Like they're just, they're beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're out hiking where probably no one else has walked past them in weeks, if not a month or more. So or years. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty fun to do that and, and see all that out there. And, um, and going back to like the service berry, um, Mike mentioned the seeds and stuff in those. And that's pretty common for any, any wild fruit or wild berry that you're going to harvest. That's, a pretty normal thing. So if you want to start foraging those and you invest in a food mill, then that makes it really easy to go ahead and just separate those seeds out so that if you want to make jams, jellies, pie filling, things like that, um, that makes it a lot simpler. But if you're like us, you just kind of want to snack while you're out for a hike, then you know, you can just spit the seeds out and you're just planting more for next year. Or while I'm building and installing the septic system. I didn't have to come in for a snack. I would just stand there and eat a handful of service berries. Yeah. Free Let's snacks. See. What else did we find? So I found a wild cabbage mm-hmm. and it was the only one that I found. And the funny thing about it is I had cut a trail up around our solar panels and up above our garden, back down to our, uh, back down a hill to where our pigs were. So I could put water in their pond when we'd have dry spells. So if we went a week or two without rain, then the pond would start to dry up. So um, one day I was up, I drove the truck up around with the water tank and I was draining it. And I'm looking at this plant growing right in the middle of the trail where I drive. And I'm like, that looks like a cabbage or a head of lettuce or something. And I got out and I scanned it with the app and it said it was, um, Western wild cabbage. If I remember exactly right, I'll have to look it up, but, um, pulled a little leaf off and it was kind of bittery and, um, I don't, it was just like a bittery kind of weird taste. It didn't taste like a cabbage from the grocery store, but it was exciting to know that these things are growing right here on our land. We've seen a lot of uh, wild burdock growing out here, um, prickly lettuce, wild lettuce, taper tip onions. I'm just oh, kind of yeah. looking Lots. through like my different uh, my different pictures and stuff to see what we had. But yeah, I think that's been one of the most fun things about this is just it's a whole different climate, a whole different bioregion for us to learn the plants of. And we just love geeking out about it. Honestly, it's so fun. 
and and knowing for me it, it's i don't really geek out on it as much as you do i guess i do but in a different in a, from a different perspective my perspective is if we don't have kale growing in the garden i feel good that we could just go spend half a day walking around our property and we're going to find leafy greens that we can substitute with that we weren't able to grow or instead of going to the grocery store, which is an hour away and paying a premium price for a less than premium product. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather, I'd rather forage any day of the week. And if you want to geek out about the science of it, pretty much anything out there that you're foraging, you know, for leafy greens, it beats the pants off of like spinach that you buy out in the store in terms of like nutritional value, mineral content, things like that. So it's nice to know that like one, it's not costing us anything other than time and who doesn't want to spend time outside. It's really not a cost as far as we're concerned. Right. And it's far superior to anything that we could go travel an hour and buy at the store. Like Mike said, so it's a win-win all around. And then I ended up geeking out on and following on TikTok uh samuel there there yep mm-hmm. and i i literally l- sat for like two hours three hours one day and watched video after video after video of his so that that was amazing and then that really inspired me to be like okay let's go find more let's what else can we eat what else can we find out here that we can substitute our livestock feed with that we can substitute our feed with um I think we talked about it a couple episodes back when the dandelions started coming out. We had uh, three days of amazing meals where every meal had dandelion leaves in it. And growing up as a kid, I was like, oh, those are dandelions. Those are poisonous. And no, you can't eat those. And they're delicious and amazing. Right. And so, so good for you. And and it's also, I just think, really fun. You know, you and I both love to cook so much. And a big goal for us is just being able to have meals where like everything on our plate, you know, either was foraged by us, grown by us, came from our land, something like that. And so I also love the seasonality of it too, because you get that variety. Um, Like, I think I read a scientific study about just the decrease in like the number of different types of foods most Americans eat on like a weekly basis or something like that. And I tracked it one time for a week for myself. And then, I mean, now it's like, if we just make a cup of tea from one of the tea mixes that we make with our own herbs and stuff. Like that's usually like 10 ingredients right there that most people aren't eating in a normal week for themselves. And the seasonality of, of like you said, we had three really amazing days of dandelions. Um, but you know, it's a pretty small harvest window. Uh, same for rose hips, same for most things. And it's like, you either catch it or you feel sad and know you have to get it next year. And it's kind of nice. The novelty of it, I think. Well, yeah, and there's a little bit like, even though you're like, man, I missed it this year. Oh, I'm excited. Next year, I'm not going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Next year, I'm going to find them and I'm going to get them before they before the frost or before the animals get them, you know? Right. Like we were talking on the hike, that big hike we just went on about, we need to start mapping these things out, you know, because we use like an app um, called Onyx Hunt to kind of see where we are in the parks and things like that. And so Michael drop pins for different locations. Like here's a ridge line or here's a trail and stuff. And I was like, man, we really need to start mapping out like, oh, this really good nettle patch and and stuff like that too. And I just think that makes it really fun. And and we love to share it with people too. And when they come visit, it's going to be really cool to take them out and show them all this stuff too. So this is a good spot for us to transition from gardening and foraging to some of the wildlife 
Mm-hmm. And we're coming into fall hunting season. Well, there's several different seasons. One's already, two of them have already come and gone. But tonight, as we are sitting here, just before we started preparing dinner, Sarah looks out the window and sees a really nice old uh, female mule deer, what we call a doe uh, mule deer. And she's in the middle of our garden eating <laughs> the last of the stalks of our pepper plants. Because when we got up this morning and went out to the garden, all of our kale was gone. Watermelons were gone. Every single pepper plant was eaten down to the stalk. It was, I, I and when she told me, I was like, eh, you know, cause we know we got squirrels and rabbits, you know, they've been munching here and there, but I didn't think it was that bad. When I went out there, I was like, wow. So tonight we caught the culprit, but, but we let her live. I asked her if her name was Tony and she didn't respond. I mean, obviously it's a chick. So she, but Maybe her maybe her boyfriend's name's Tony. We'll, hopefully, we'll find out later in the season. She'll bring him by. But um, so the wildlife out here. Um, let's see. Oh, Sunday or a couple days before Sunday was it Thursday or Friday? We were just pulling off our property uh, onto the the main dirt road that leads down to the highway, and we saw a nice good flock of turkeys, about thirty of them. No big toms but a couple of jakes in there which are the younger toms or younger boys and a whole bunch of hens and i just love listening to them purr and and cluck and just kind of do their thing it's just amazing then yesterday on our hike as we were coming back down the mountain on this main old closed two-track trail that's no longer motorized access I, I heard this purring sound and I stopped and I looked at Sarah and she's like, I hear it too. And in the brush, just off to our left, we couldn't see him because the brush was too thick, but you could hear it. See, I'd be willing to bet there was two or three dozen, if not more turkeys in the brush on the ground feeding and you could hear them all purring and you could hear the jakes clucking. And, um, that, I just love that. That was amazing. And then we got home back to, back to our property and back to our camper and we were eating dinner and all of a sudden we could hear the purring again and right out the camper, just over the, the little hill, there were more turkeys purring and clucking. So let's see, we got, we've seen a lot of deer. We've seen turkeys. Yeah. We've seen lots of coyotes. Yeah. We've seen one, elk. One bobcat. Oh, you saw one bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. And you didn't have your phone on you that day. Yeah. I, yep. I had run, I was running Mike down to our neighbors because they were letting us borrow their tractor to do some dirt work. And I was just in between work stuff. And so I just didn't even bring my phone with me, which is super weird because I'm always snapping pictures of stuff. But yeah, right as we came up right in front of our property line on the road there, this bobcat just kind of sauntered past me. And, you know, being a cat, I, you know, rolled down the window and tried to do the to get his attention. And he, you know, no care is given at all. Didn't even look back at me. Just disappeared into the brush. And then, you know, Mike got there like three minutes afterwards with the tractor. And I was like freaking out. So excited. Like you missed it. It was a bobcat. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, some bears, you've seen a couple bears. Yeah. We've seen, well, I've seen three bear. You've seen one bear and then elk. We had five cows, which are female adult, female elk. And two calves that were living in the lower pasture below our property pretty much all summer, which is kind of rare for this area because of the temperatures. But usually what that means is the calves, they calved late and then the the calves aren't mature or strong enough yet to make it up the mountains. So they just, they just summer there. And about a week before hunting season, they all disappeared. 
Um, which is good because I mean, I'd rather them have a fighting chance and get up into the mountains and get hidden before the hunters come in. And, uh, what else have we seen? Of course, bald eagles, gold eagles, grouse, ermines, which are like a weasel. It's so cute. (laughs) And they change colors. So during the summertime, they're like a brownish color, like you would think. And then during the wintertime, they're all white, like pure white. They don't have pink eyes, so they're not albinos. I call them snow ferrets. Snow ferrets. That's what they look like, a ferret. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And evidently, they're they're pretty feisty little creatures because our neighbors were showing us they have some trail cameras. And they had pictures of an ermine that came up out of the snow. And they had frame-for-frame pictures of it. And it literally popped up out of the snow, grabbed a rabbit that was like five times its size, and was dragging this rabbit back down into the snow. So they're, they're pretty feisty. Yeah. And so, yeah, lots of rabbits, lots of chipmunks. Yeah. But those aren't like foraging, hunting. Well, rabbits are, but I'm not talking about like animals that, that we could potentially hunt to sustain a life. Yeah. I think that's about it. Yeah. Of Um, course we can't hunt the bald eagles and golden eagles. And I mentioned those. (laughs) So, um, owls, if we're talking about stuff that's not. And then animals that we do have here that we haven't seen yet is uh, uh, Shiras moose, um, which is a um, species indigenous to this part of, of North America, but they had been pretty much extinct and in, well, they were extinct in Colorado for a long time, Northern Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, they were still there. Colorado about 10, 15 years, about 15 years ago did a program to reintroduce them and they've been doing really well on the reintroduction area is actually we've driven through there uh when we go to dave's over on the mesa Mm -hmm. so geographically wise you know how far away it is but but that was the original release area for those moose and there are they've released more and there are moose here but we haven't seen them yet Let's see. Oh, wolves. Wolves have been reintroduced into Colorado as of this year. I want to say it was March or April. The state of Colorado, by law, it was passed by the voters of Colorado, had to release 12 gray wolves in Colorado by March or April of 2023. And I looked up the release area and we are living dead smack in the middle of the area that they're, they're releasing. Now, I didn't disclose the area yet. So I don't know. They could have released them at the end of our driveway or they could have released them on the other end. Who knows? But yeah. um, so I'm excited for that too. Um, I'm a hunter and I've been a lifetime hunter, lifelong hunter. But I see the value in having the original species, the native species back and the ecosystem balancing itself out. Um, I read a great, interesting article about coyotes and in, in these programs to try and reduce the coyote population. It, it was written by a biologist. I can't I can't remember his name. This is a couple of years ago. So I'll have to look it up. If anybody wants to know, message Sarah. And I'll look it up and try and find the article. But basically what this wildlife biologist did, he did like a five-year study on coyotes. And what he found is that in areas that coyotes were pressured more, meaning they were hunted more by humans or they were hunted more by other predators, bigger predators, mountain lions and bears, that the coyotes would actually reproduce and, and have more pups in a season 
as kind of a natural way to offset that. And so it doesn't, what I took from that is it doesn't matter how hard you hunt an area of coyotes, they're going to reproduce more and they're going to continue to, to do whatever they need to do to survive and, and maintain. That being said, that to me is a good thing because now I can feel more ethical about hunting coyotes and not decimating the herd or taking out the entire population. Um, myself personally, now I'm not saying if we had, if we had a thousand people up here all shooting coyotes every day, then, then yeah, they'd probably all go away. So there's a balance. My point is, is the wolves, I see the same thing with the wolves and I hear ranchers say, oh, they're going to decimate my, my cattle herds and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And my response to them every time is find me a rancher that's gone bankrupt or, or gone out of business or lost their livelihoods because of wolves. Find me one. And nobody's ever been able to produce one for me. The other thing is you look at like North Yellowstone National Park. There are hundreds of wolves in there that live with thousands of elk and deer and bears and moose and all these other animals. And those wolves haven't wiped out all those elk because that's the other argument I hear from the from the hunting community is, oh, these wolves are going to wipe out the elk herds. They're going to wipe out the deer herds. They only kill for the fun of it. They don't kill to eat. And my argument is, well, that's not true because if they only killed to eat or only killed for the fun of it and not to eat, they'd starve to death, right? So yeah, they're eating. Um, so that, that to me doesn't make sense. And then they, when people say that they're going to decimate the elk herds and decimate the deer herds, again, it doesn't make sense to me because they're in Yellowstone where we're not even allowed to hunt and those wolves haven't decimated those herds. So, um, anyways, I'm excited about the wolves. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> and in 10, 15 years from now, the wolf population will be good enough that maybe I'll draw a wolf tag and be able to kill a wolf. Um, I shouldn't use the word kill harvest a wolf. Um, I've had wolf tags in Canada before. And of course, every time I, I get a wolf tag, I never see one. And then when I don't get a wolf tag, I see them. Um, they know. So, and, and for full disclosure, I don't hunt for trophies. I hunt for, for the meat. Um, I use the meat, I eat the meat. So yes, I would eat a wolf if I harvested a wolf. So anyways, I'll get off my soapbox on wolves. I'm excited for the wildlife in yeah, our area. I am too. And I think this is kind of a good way to segue into something else I want to talk about for this year that we've been here is just like the amount you just heard Mike and I just excitedly geek out about the plants and the animals. And just, this is such a huge part of our day-to-day existence now is just observing everything around us and just being super excited about being a part of it and not yeah, I just, I love it. And I think, I think our way of life has just kind of, I don't want to say slowed down because I still feel like we're going a million million miles a minute. Um, Other people I think would say, oh, you guys, you know, you've, you moved to the country and slow in a slower, more natural way of life. And I don't see it as, see it that way at all. I feel like I'm busier than I've ever been. And I'm, I've always been a pretty busy person. Um, We work physically twice as hard. And, and I would say emotionally twice as hard as, yeah. as we ever, as I have ever had in my life. Yeah, same. No, I totally agree with that. And yeah, we're so much more emotionally invested in everything we're doing because we're doing everything by hand and, and by ourselves. And But I think the flip side of that is that the, I don't want to speak for Mike, but like the sense of enjoyment that I get from it, the sense of satisfaction from even something as simple as like eating a zucchini 
tonight with dinner that like we grew from seed. I've gardened plenty of places before, but it's never been as hard as here. There's, it's never felt as rewarding as doing it here. And I think just even little things like downsizing our life to the extent that we did, you know, we are, have been living in like a 30 foot camper for the last year now. Um, and we got rid of a lot of stuff as well. We still have some, you know, machinery and stuff back in Tennessee to move, you know, things for the shop, you know, milling equipment, stuff like that. But everything else that we brought with us still fit in a 10 by 20 storage unit. And even that, you know, just from a year of not really looking at it, I'm kind of like, man, when we unpack this, I might get rid of a lot of it. Yeah. You can speak for me all you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I have a ton of clothes I'm going to get rid of. Yeah. I, I mean, stuff I've hung on to forever that I'm like, why? And, I, and I, I wear it once a year type thing. No, it's going away. Yeah. I mean, there is a part of me that we packed the camper and everything with the idea that we weren't going to be in it very long. And so there's part of me that, you know, I'm not like a super girly girl, but thinks Mike might appreciate me wearing something besides like jeans and a t-shirt for a date night. Not that we do a ton of date nights because we're so busy, but yeah, I think a lot of our other clothing just doesn't fit our lifestyle much anymore, right? Right. Yeah. It's kind of weird. But a lot of my clothes that were, I would say, casual wear clothes that I wouldn't work in, but they weren't like go to a nice dinner in either. You know, nice t-shirts or nice jeans. Those are all how they all have holes in them now. <laughs> Shirts, t- jeans, all of them. They're, yeah. I mean, I'm running out of jeans at this point. Yeah. They're my nice, nice jeans. There's no such thing as non work clothes at this point in our lives, I think, because when do we have a day that we're not working? Right. Right. So, yeah. But, you know, I just, I think we just really appreciate really simple pleasures now. And especially because we're an hour away from any sort of like big town to grocery shop in or, even get fast food, like the nearest fast food restaurant is in Delta, which is an hour from us. And I remember last winter, I think it was my mom, maybe like someone sent us like hot chocolate and we bought like marshmallows for it and stuff. And that felt like the, luxury. the best luxury item in the world. Yeah. <laughs> best hot chocolate ever, but you can't make it with water. You can only make it with, with a milk, non-dairy or dairy, but a milk. It's got to be Mike's still a little fancy. Yeah. Oh, I, I gotta have, I can't have it with water. <laughs> We've upgraded to the, uh, this is kind of funny. We started getting like almond milk, but I was getting vanilla almond milk to put in oatmeal and stuff as well. And then I had this weird light bulb moment of we kind of shifted and we're just using it for hot chocolate. And then I was like, why am I not getting the chocolate almond milk and getting like double the amount of chocolate? So again, luxury items. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Creature comforts. We've, we've, you know, like finding a haircut. I, I need my haircut really bad. And that's, that's a, that's a, a guilty pleasure that I've always enjoyed my whole life is like, you know, every, every month, every month and a half, you know, going in, sitting down to a nice barber and getting my hair done. And I haven't, I mean, I, I've tried a couple of little ones here and there, but no, they're, they're more salons. So they cater to women's hair. So it's not the same experience for me. Yeah. So like I, I, and there's this new one opening up supposedly here, like 30 minutes from us. So I'm kind of (laughs) excited to see how that turns out, but giving up that kind of stuff, you know, if, if I had to give that stuff up a year ago or two years ago, when it was easily accessible, it would have, impacted me differently giving it up here it's it's impacted me but at the end of the day i'm like so what you know like i i mean who cares what my hair looks like i i love my life yeah so 
Yeah. Um, what kind of guilty pleasures have you had to give up? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think we've both had to let go of a little bit of, not that we had a ton of guilty pleasures, but a little bit of, of vanity that goes with it too, is like, for me, like doing some body waxing, like every month or two months, like used to be pretty much like a normal thing for me. Mike and I both enjoy, you know, we're not people that would like go get a pedicure every week or anything like that, but maybe every two or three months we'd like go have a date night together where we'd, you know, because even when we were in Tennessee, we were in a small town, we were an hour from anything. Um, we'd, you know, go to the next town over an hour away and go get like pedicures and then go out to dinner afterwards, you know, and something we couldn't eat or make on our own normally or something like that. And like, yeah, we just don't do that. Like we've been here, like I said, a year. Um, Mike surprised me with a pedicure um, last winter with someone that we knew that we had done some trade, uh, some barter for. And that was awesome, but like we haven't done it since. Um, and let's be honest, it wasn't a really real pedicure. It was. It was okay. It, was, it definitely wasn't the same like yeah. massagey like experience that like you get in like a bigger city. That's for sure. But someone else got to deal with my my funky feet, especially in winter. Like also not having lived in a cold climate since I was a little kid. Like wool socks and foot funk. That is a thing I'm having to like get it readjusted to. <laughs> What are you saying? My feet stink? No, I was talking about mine. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, when you said the waxing thing, it reminded me of one animal I left off the list. I have seen a beaver up here. So anyways, um, so guilty pleasures. It's been interesting, but it's been fun. And I love life. Yeah, we do. We totally love our lives. And we say it to each other all the time. Like, there's no one else I'd want to do this with. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I like never going back to civilization and yeah, I think we've had rough moments. Like last winter, we had like generators go down and freaking out, wondering how we were going to stay warm, how we're going to keep animals warm. And, you know, a lot of people just were like, just go to the nearest town and get a hotel for the night. And that just didn't even cross our minds. It just, it would have felt like giving up and we just weren't going to do that. Well, we had, you know, animals and things like that, that we would have had to take with us. And you, you can't take, pigs to the hotel hotel. (laughs) we're country out here but even the hotels aren't that lax about it right and so speaking of hotels we actually had on your birthday thanks to your brother and his girlfriend who flew in from florida which was awesome um and they they talked us into going out for the night and getting a hotel and that was the first time in a year that we've left the property overnight yeah together yeah yeah and uh, we gave the dogs a little extra food, left them out overnight, and they were still here. They were super excited when we got home. <laughs> they were so excited. They were yeah. they were probably pretty confused. But yeah, that was, that again felt like a huge luxury. Whereas I think in our previous lives, it wasn't something we really had to think about very much at all. Um, you know, if you're in a major city and you have dogs, you know, there's things like Rover to get pet sitting or you know someone or out here it's it's a whole different ball game to try to get someone to come up here and yeah and uh i mean even in winter like getting up here can be so precarious that like i don't even know if we'll ever travel in winter most years because you know yeah i mean we we would if we did we would leave the toyota for whoever it is that was was farm sitting for us and we'd probably have them come up at least two or three times before we left in the winter yeah i mean we wouldn't hire somebody and then be like hey your first time is going to be dead of winter we hopefully have an established relationship and then be like hey we're not leaving town but we need you to come up 
at least one day a week for the next three weeks before we leave town. Right. So you can drive the truck up and down the road and we can teach you the little ins and outs about this corner. Make sure you stay to this side of the road and that corner. And here's your shovel. If you get stuck, here's how you dig it out. Yeah. We'd have to do all that extra stuff as opposed to people that don't have that kind of issue. Even if you live off grid, you live on a homestead, you live remotely. If you're doing that in Oklahoma or Texas, you don't have to worry about the fact that there's 10 feet of snow on the ground. Right. That would be my nightmare is that where we do leave to go on like a multi-day trip somewhere and like day one, there's a huge blizzard and the farm sitter just kind of gives up and says, sorry, I just couldn't get up there. And you know, the animals are in dire straits. Funnily enough, I just did a tattoo a few weeks ago on another farmer that lives about 40 minutes from us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she and her partner do like farm sitting for other people. And we were kind of talking about the need for that and what a great market that could be as like a business model. So yeah, she was saying that they, they do more of like, they have an established travel route. So they do everything from South Carolina or North Carolina, one of the Carolinas. Yeah. They, they've got a farm there that they sit for a couple months out of the year and then a farm along the way. And then a farm here, they sit for a couple of months or like half the year, actually, they don't really so, they yeah. don't really farm sit for the whole six months. Right. They they work on the farm as farm hands, and then the owners of the farm take a month off to travel, and that's when they farm sit. But the other thing that they do that's really cool and made my business mind geek out <laughs> was this farmer go has has a network of of uh, farmers markets that they that they sell at, that they vend at. And so if you're a farmer and your primary source of income is farmer's markets or shipping goods or delivering uh, produce or goods to to other markets or distributors, and you want to take a month off for vacation or even a week off, you got to think of the financial impact that that has on your business. And then how much harder you're going to have to work when you get back to get caught back up. And so... Or the risk that who one of your customers decides, well, if they can't deliver for a month, then I'm going to find another vendor. And then they don't hire you back when you get back. So these people actually ran their business, run their business for them and continue all those services for them while they're on vacation. And I was like, that's amazing. Now, that's a that's a, a one in a million type of person to find, to trust. It takes a lot. But I really thought it was cool. And I geeked out on it about, you know, how, what would be the potential if we could develop a, an app, a network with, with farms, homesteads, and then sitters, and then we could vet them and pre, I don't want to talk about all that. That's not, anyways, <laughs> future episode, future maybe. episode. <laughs> so yeah. So um, it was really nice to get away though for a night, I think yeah. is the gist of that. But also, I think we were super excited to come home because we love where we are, too. Yeah. So I remember driving home going, uh, like, the closer we got, I'm like, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to see the look on the dog's face when we pull up. Yeah, it was really good. And, yeah, so I think this has just really shifted our way of life in, in a big way. Not that I, I don't think we were living, like, super extravagant lives before, but now we're to the point where, you know, all our money goes into the property really. And and we, you know, we've both cut out a ton of quote luxury items, like anything that could be cut out, got cut out, you know? And I think the flip side of that is it's really made us value and appreciate the things that we do have. And I know that sounds like a greeting card, but it's true. It is true. And I've always been the type of person that really values 
the items that I have. Like I've got t-shirts and, and pants while I'm running out of them that I've had for 20 years because I make them last. I take care of my stuff, my tools. I've got Milwaukee tools that I don't know how, I don't know how old they are. They're, they're over 15 years old and they still work like the day I bought them. It's because I take care of my stuff. But when you get into this situation, it really reminds you of even uh, of the importance of it. So if you don't have that naturally in you to take care of that stuff, you're going to learn it really quick or you're going to go broke or you're going to end up not surviving this yeah. lifestyle. So yeah. Shout out to Milwaukee for their awesome, uh, customer, placement, service. customer service and stuff too. Yeah. Mike had, uh, it was, remember uh, what it was a screw gun, a screw gun that, that died on him. And he looked it up and it was, I think a week out from being past the warranty date. Like yep. he, and so he messaged them just, and they said, sure, send it back for repair. And then we got it back like really fast. Like a like, week later. A week later. And they just sent him a brand new one too. So yeah, I opened the box up. I was like, this isn't my impact. It's brand spanking new. Yeah. And, and my impact has a lot of hours on it. <laughs> I mean, cause we use them every day. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it wasn't like this was just something that I use once a month that sits on a shelf. Like it. I really didn't think they replaced it or, or, or repair it, but they also paid for the shipping both ways too. Yeah. They crazy. sent me a label so, and I just printed it off. Awesome company. Not sponsored by them, but we would love no. to be, if you're listening from Milwaukee, Mike would love to be sponsored. By <laughs> Which you. reminds me, you had to make a run into town the other day, a couple weeks ago, yep. and I needed you to run by Home Depot and pick up a few things. And, but I couldn't leave or go with you because I was in the middle of working on a project here that I needed to get done. And you had said, is there anything that you need me to get that, that you haven't mentioned yet? And I said, yes, get me anything Milwaukee. <laughs> and what did you get me? I went through all of Home Depot because, as you guys know, we are on a budget. Um, but I don't like to tell Mike no. So I wanted to get him something. So I went through all of Home Depot, spent way too long doing this to find what is the cheapest Milwaukee item they have in Home Depot. They sell Milwaukee branded like fine point, like Sharpie, like ballpoint pen things for Marker. markers for a dollar ninety five. So I and came you found home. it at the register. You yeah. know, you technically you gave up and you were ready to check out, and then you saw it at the register. No, there was that little display by the Milwaukee. It's on that far wall. I'll show okay. it to you next. All right. Time. Anyways, but, she bought yeah. me back something Milwaukee. <laughs> I was, you don't know how happy I was. It was like the it's those little moments that have made our lives. Life is what. It's those moments of why I say I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. Definitely. It's, yeah, it's little stuff like that. Like, we laugh. We work so hard, but we also laugh really, really hard all the time. <laughs> yeah. And we cry sometimes. Most recently. Yeah. Are you going to? Yeah, we do. <laughs> so, we kind of chatted a little bit before we started this episode. Not to be like, let's go over the list or the script, but to be like, hey, you know, what do you want to talk about? What do you not want to talk about? Like, let's make sure we're on the same page here. And I said, you know, we need to talk about our pigs and the most recent events. And some of you listening who follow Fox and Elder on social media might already know, but it was a devastating blow and it was really hard. So do you want to share the story or... Yeah, so I won't go into a super amount of detail, but um, we lost all of our pigs, uh, I think, middle of last month. You know, we work in town. Um, we're there till late. Um, we came home one night. And we'd had a lot of rain for a couple days, and we came home, and 
normally like our big ritual or again, not big, our little ritual, the things that make us love our life here so much is that when we get home, the pigs are pretty trained um, that they know we're going to bring them treats. And so they usually come out to like the wall. Um, There's a little low like bin block wall and they'll like kind of stand up on it and wait for us to bring treats. And they're super excited. And it's honestly like the best part of our day most days. So they weren't outside when we got home because it had been raining and so, and it was still raining. So we thought they were inside their shelter. So we did not go check on them. Um, I felt really terrible about that. Anyway, long story short, the next morning we got up, we were, I was inside the camper getting dressed. Mike went outside to start putting their feed together and he came back in. I was in the bathroom and he said, babe. And just like the way he said it, I feel like time stopped for a second. And he said, all the pigs are dead. And that really sucked. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really sucked. Yeah. So we lost them to um, an animal attack. Mama and the piglets were were dead already when Mike found them. Um, we, he thought that Franklin, our, our papa boar from, from, the, from the herd, he thought he was dead also. He was just really, really, really injured. Um, so he did actually move around. We were pretty hopeful at first. Um, we were, tr- we tried to doctor him up. This was a Saturday morning. Um, we doctored him up as best we could. We called everyone we knew. We actually did a, a, a phone consult <laughs> with a retired large animal vet, which was very kind of him to speak to us. Uh, some ranchers across the street let us get penicillin because you can't buy that over the counter anymore. Um, you were able to up until this past summer. Yeah, we did everything we could for him in terms of wound care. He was getting up. He was eating. He was drinking. He was going outside to use the bathroom. We were feeling pretty confident. Um, One of our rancher friends, you know, Monday loaned us a a livestock trailer, actually drove it up here for us, which was really amazing. Um, We got him to a large animal vet an hour away uh, in Delta. But unfortunately, as soon as the vet did the exam, she recommended euthanization and said his wounds were just too severe. There just wasn't going to be a way to like get him cleaned up really and and keep it clean and keep infection out. And so we had to make the decision to put him down. Yeah. And I I do feel it's important to give a little bit of background on the animal attack because I don't want people questioning or wondering. So without the, the gruesome details, we had rescued two dogs that were most likely going to be euthanized due to politics and poor ownership. And we really, we knew these dogs since they were puppies. We knew that they were back in Tennessee and um, I had known these dogs since they were puppies and they're really sweet dogs around people evidently, but poor ownership had led to not enough structure and discipline. So the dogs didn't learn properly from the beginning. And and we had the dogs for about a month. We were, we, we weren't planning on keeping them. We were just planning on, you know, saving them from being euthanized in Tennessee and then rehoming them here. I'd been actively trying on Facebook and networking and talking to everybody that I came across. I mean, we were at Home Depot one day and a couple was talking about pit bulls and I stopped and I said, can I interrupt? Cause we got two pit bulls. We need to rehome. And I, I wasn't going to say the breed. Um, so we, I love, mess- we love pit bulls. We have yeah. pit bulls. One of our dogs is a pit bull. It's not about the breed. It's not about the breed. And um, now I'm getting upset because I said it. Because um, it's not about the breed. It's about the owners. And so we tried our best. We did what we thought was right. 
and we had them in a separate enclosure and we had been working with them. We got some e-collars for them. And when we're home, I mean, every morning that I fed the pigs, I would let them out of the the dogs out of their enclosure and they would go over there with me to feed the pigs and they would get up there right there, nose to nose with the pigs. And the very first time there was a little bit of a quick, like, not really aggressive, but like a chase mentality, like, ooh, play toy. And I only had to zap them with the e-collar once. After that, I would just use the vibrate mode. And then after a while, I didn't even have to use that. I didn't even have to tell them verbally. They started to mind really, really well. Well, during that storm that night or that day, at some point they had gotten out of their enclosure and gotten into the pig's enclosure. And, um, and so, yeah, they, they, the, the mud was just too deep. Um, and the pigs couldn't, they just didn't have the agility to, to spin around and get away. Um, especially the piglets cause the mud was just too bad and they got cornered. And then we talk about, yeah, it was just bad. It was, it was bad. It was, um, it was pretty heartbreaking. I think we had to yeah. euthanize the two dogs in, in our hearts and minds. We had to euthanize them because we couldn't morally rehome them to anybody else. And then them do this to at somebody else's home yeah. or farm or, or maybe the neighbor's pet or, you know, it, it was just too risky. We couldn't, we couldn't do it. So we had them euthanized as well. And I, I think the the hardest part is I feel I felt and I still do feel some guilt and anger towards myself because well one if we hadn't rescued these dogs it wouldn't have been an issue we'd still have our pigs so what was intended to be a good deed ended up being devastating and losing four pigs which mom and dad pigs um, Franklin and Clementine you know, they were, they were like dogs to us. They were like our dogs. Franklin, I used to call him my buddy and he was like my buddy. I could just say, Franklin, come here, buddy. And he would come up to me and, and, and he would love on me and I'd love on him. And, you know, Clem, after she had her babies was a little bit less lovey dovey. <laughs> she just, she would only love Protective on you. Protective mama. <laughs> yeah. Would only love on you if you gave her treats. But even the piglets started to get to that point to where they were starting to follow me around and, and wanting lovings. And so, I felt bad that I had failed them and failed us. Um, but I don't, I, I, I don't use that term now. That's not how I feel now. This is definitely a, a terrible, devastating loss. It's, it's a very hard lesson learned. It's a lesson learned though. It's still, and in all bad things, I'm looking for the good in it. And so, we ended up burying all four pigs in the section where we're going to build the next garden this spring. So they're there in the garden and we're going to dedicate the garden to, to Franklin and Clementine and their two babies. And I think we should dedicate this episode to them. Yeah, I think we should too. And like you said, it was really terrible, but I think we learned some good lessons about boundaries we need to have going forward that we have to protect our our homestead first our animals and as much as we wanted to do something good and help these dogs that were in a terrible situation that yeah our priority has to be the animals we already have 
And I think it also just from a knowledge standpoint, like really pointed out some stuff to us that we need to learn. Um, So learning more about wound care, being better prepared for situations like that, learning the hard truth about how hard it is to get vet care when you live in this rural of an area, um, especially like on a weekend. (laughs) So, you know, knowing that like in the future, if this ever happens, like, yeah, we have to rely on ourselves and, and good neighbors, which we're very fortunate to have. But yeah, really, this is a good wake up call for us that, you know, we, you know, earlier in the spring, I blew out my thumb when we were driving fence posts. And that was a good brush up on human wound care. And this is a good uh, brush up for animal wound care and preparedness. Yeah. So that's about all I really had in mind. And yeah, I really felt important to share. So if you don't know about Franklin and Clementine, be sure to go to Fox and Elders social media. And I think there's a post on there that can kind of give you basically the same same thing that we we mentioned but you can see some amazing pictures of some amazing animals yeah lots you can scroll back through other pictures and videos of them and from even when like we had the the piglets from clum's first litter this past spring and yeah we don't say this to be like a downer episode but we just feel like i said in my post about the pigs uh we just feel it's important to be transparent and to share you know the good and the bad of homesteading and the lessons we learn and and sometimes they're really hard lessons um but we'll never you know it's a lesson we're only gonna have to learn once i think i think we're both pretty adamant going forward about what boundaries we need to have for bringing in animals and the risk that that can pose so yeah not not a fun lesson but we miss franklin and clementine a ton and we will hopefully restart our herd in the spring it won't be the same but we'll dedicate that garden area to them and we'll think of them and they'll still be a part of our farm forever. Yep. Yeah. So I think it's been a really eventful year. I think next year will be even more so um, as we get the shop up and then keep expanding the gardens, uh, keep building out the infrastructure here, um, looking at like long-term perennial planting. So hopefully getting like some really good fruit trees and things planted. And I, I think we have a lot of really, hard work but great work ahead of us and many more yes. tasty meals and oh yeah many more great hikes and uh yeah i'm just really looking forward to that and sharing that with you all and uh we talked a little bit about tools and we'll be doing a future episode where i kind of interrogate mike about what tools you guys need to have as homesteaders because he's very knowledgeable about that so yeah i think in the meantime um like mike said you can check out more pictures of the pigs and videos on our social media for fox and elder Um, We've also kind of transitioned over to fall offerings for our herbal products. So we have our tropical fire cider, pumpkin pie spice seasoning, um, our chai tea, our winter wellness tea is back in stock. We also have our elderberry syrup kits. If you want a fun project to do to make your own elderberry syrup, it's pretty simple to do on your own. I think it's a great skill to learn and it's easy enough that you can do it, you know, even with small kiddos and stuff like that. So yeah, go on over to foxcylinder.com. You can check out what we have on offer there. And hopefully we'll be back with you guys again soon with another episode and also some more interviews. All right. Well, until next time, guys, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.